effort to come back out. Thank you for being here. Um, this morning I spoke to you from my heart, and tonight, not that you have to pick between the two, but tonight we're going to do a little bit more from the head, all right? Um, the heart works best when it has some logic to it, and logic works best when it has some emotion to it, but we do tend to lean one way or the other a lot of times in our communication. So this morning was me calling to you in faith, and, uh, and tonight we want to give you the ability to, to plug your brain in and, and not just work off of faith and not just work off of emotion, um, but also be able to ask questions. Let me, let me review. First of all, I want to say to all of you that there is no big reveal left. So if you all were like, first he hits us with a new name. That was maybe a little fun. Then he hits us with, mm, his time's drawing to a close. Hopefully that wasn't very much fun. Um, what's he doing tonight? No. Okay. Tonight is designed to simply give you the ability to ask questions. All right? Um, we put together the website that I gave to all of you that's kind of hidden. So I realize some of you may have forgot it. We'll share that with you again tonight. That lays out the vision frame, the new name, and a review of structure that maybe none of you actually knew existed or was there. Okay? And I want to run through that very quickly because actually very little of that is different. It's pretty much the same as it has been with one major difference. And then finally, draft copies of legal papers, articles of incorporation and bylaws, which I know that very few of you are really excited about reading. Now, there's a few of you that might be, but very few of us like to sit down and read legal papers, all right? But they're essential, they're important, and they're a part of how we make ourselves structured so that we are in right place, both in our relationship with one another as a congregation, but even more importantly, that we are, as Jesus instructed us, rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, okay? So, one of the things that I, I want you to understand of why we're having tonight is because I am a big believer in process. Not just what you do, but how you do it. And many times, particularly in a church context, if you've ever been around where things did not go well in a church, many times the reason is, is not what the church was trying to do. It's the process by which they did it. Okay? And so, forgive me if I am boringly methodical about process. But I would rather err on that side than to not give the process due attention and thereby thwart and undo the what we need to achieve. So what am I talking about when I, when I say that to you? So there are two things that I need direction from you 
Now, why do I need direction from you? If we study the scriptures, the scriptures place a heavy weight upon the direction of a church coming from God and that direction flowing from God through leadership. In other words, you can't find democracy very well in the Bible. Okay? Old Testament, definitely not. New Testament also. For example, I love our movement, the United Pentecostal Church. They always cite this one example in Acts about why our voting matters. Anybody know which one I'm going to go to? Yes. It's Acts chapter 1, and Judas, of course, has hung himself, and so they're, they're down one apostle. And so they call together, while they're waiting in the upper room, they call together and they vote on who is going to take Judas's place, who's going to take, as Peter puts it in the King James, his bishopric. And so they vote, and they put in this disciple we've never heard of before. His name is Matthias. And they put him into the position, and we never hear about him again. <laughs> and I love how that's our single example of democracy in motion. It seems highly ineffective. Because it didn't work at all. And of course, I've contended, as I have spent a lot of time studying Luke and Acts, I've contended that, in fact, they didn't need to vote on Matthias. God actually had one in the wings. His name was Saul, later Paul, and he went on to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And God clearly had a plan there. So my point behind it is not that the church was out of order, that they sat down and they voted but rather you are going to have to stretch really far to find democracy within the scriptures. So then why do we vote? Because Jesus instructs us to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The United States government recognizes two forms of church government. Two and only two. The variations are inconsequential. It's two primary forms. One is called Episcopal, which basically means it's very hierarchical and everything flows from the top. If you want to think of an example, the Roman Catholic Church would be a great example of that. They're not the only one, but they're a great example. Even if the local diocese owns the buildings, the local congregation does not. And the local diocese is controlled by the hierarchy going up until ultimately it gets back to Rome and to the Vatican, okay? It's a hierarchy. Who your priest is, is determined by the hierarchy. You have no say. If I were in that Episcopal structure, I would have served you when they told me to serve you and I would leave when they told me to leave. That's an Episcopal structure. And the United States government recognizes that and allows that structure to be structured accordingly. Episcopal. Newsflash, we are not Episcopal. And here I'm not talking about Episcopalians. I'm talking about basically hierarchical. In fact, we're the opposite because every other church that's not Episcopal is congregational. And congregational model actually has a lot to do with the history of the United States because some of the earliest peoples who came here, um, not including those who were already here, our Native American brothers and sisters who were here long before 
the white folks showed up. But when those white folks showed up, their model of church structure was congregational, which basically meant that there was a process whereby who led the congregation came from the congregation's choice. So, for example, I'll give you a funny side story. Harvard was started by congregational churches in New England because they were tired of requisitioning preachers from England and them not coming. So they decided to start their own college so they could train their own people so they'd have their own pastors. That's where Harvard started. It's a far cry from there now, but that's where it started. That's the divinity school where I graduated from. That's where it started. It started as a process whereby they could choose their own pastors. This church operates, when rendering to Caesar, operates on a congregational model. So you, the member, as stipulated by our legal documents, are extremely important. Now, there's a lot of churches that you can go to that do lip service to that. But when everything's said and done, whoever's the pastor calls all the shots. I'm not being critical of them. That's not my business tonight. My business tonight is to reaffirm to you something I have taught you for years and something that I have tried to model to you more and more authentically as time has gone on. And it is called mutual submission. We all have our part in the body but we all submit ourselves one to another because we submit ourselves to the only head, which is Christ. There is no question in my mind that what I have asked you to consider, which is that when the time comes for me to step down, that I be succeeded not by a single pastor, but by a pastoral team. There is no question in my mind that that's what should happen. But that does not mean that the decision is made. Let me illustrate. As I shared with you about a month ago, when the Lord spoke to me in my basement and dropped the bomb on me, your time is drawn to a close. No, you will not get to see the visions that you have cast to this congregation except from afar. And you're going to trust me with the timing of how this unfolds. I, of course, went away on sabbatical, and I spent quite a bit of time vetting that in my own mind and also with counselors, trying to find a way to come up with a solution that I had misheard God. And I need you all to hear me on that. I spent nearly two months trying to find a way to say no. Now, you all can continue to ask me to pray. You can continue to say, God's going to change his mind. You can continue to be mad at me. You can continue to be sad with me. You can continue to have all of the grief processes. I'm not bothered by it. You're a great bunch of people. I've pastored you a long time, 
and I know how you all work. There's no problem. You're not going to offend me, and I'm not worried about offending you. We've done this for a few years. But I vetted it. So that when I returned from sabbatical at the end of September and I met with the pastoral team the first Sunday in October a year ago, I knew what I knew from God. I'd had multiple confirmations. I'd had him speak to me in different ways. And I knew that it was, it was, it was drawn to a close. I didn't have the timing specifically, but I knew that it was drawn to a close. And I knew what I had been building towards, which was a body ministry. And a body ministry is teams. It's groups of people unified by vision and working together. But every member of the pastoral team needed to come to that conclusion themselves. That's mutual submission. It would have been the easiest thing for me to do is to come home, to speak powerfully and anointedly, cast vision, and to look at that team and say, you're the team. But that's not mutual submission. Because what I have heard from God, if it's from God, can be verified and validated by others who also hear from God. And if I'm unwilling to submit to that, then maybe I didn't hear from God. Now, let me be clear. What is in front of you, what, is in front, what was in front of that team when I met with them a year ago, is not whether my time had drawn to a close. Because that was mine and my wife's responsibility. Now, I promise you, I did vet that. I vetted it with her. I vetted it with probably more people than I needed to that were outsiders to this church, people who I could trust, who had no stake in this, had nothing but my best interest at heart. But where we went from there involved other people. I'm not equivocating on what I've heard from God. But I also believe that how we do this is just as important as what we do. So I came back to the team and I submitted myself to the team. Now, they're going to love this if they watch it. But when Desi and Rachel came back, and said they did not feel in that time of discernment to stay. I was not happy. I didn't like that. Mutual submission is not really submission if everybody agrees. Submission is only submission when there's actually not agreement but we submit ourselves one to another out of reverence for him. Obviously, 
over the last year, it has clearly unfolded that the hand of God is upon their life and what they are doing is what God wanted them to do. It's very clear to me. I still don't like it. I think God's a bum planner. I don't like it that he's asked me to leave. So if I don't like it that he's asked me to leave, why do I got to like it that he's asked Desi and Rachel to leave? I don't. And do you know how much God's worried about it? None. Because he's king. He's sovereign. But see, submission is where we place ourselves in a posture of not control, but a place of trust of one another and ultimately a trust in him. The reason I can trust each of you is because I trust him. I trust that you trust him. And yes, we'll grieve, and yes, we'll go through times, and we don't like things that are happening, but in the end, I believe in every one of you. You've been taught well. You are filled with a spirit that unifies us. And in the end, you want the kingdom. So I believe in you. I don't believe in you because of you as a human. I pastor all of you. You all are as much of a pill as I am. Each in your own unique ways, but come on. We're a rowdy bunch here. We're an ornery bunch here. We're a mouthy bunch here. I don't need to go on, right? You, you, all, you all agree. We all have. But God is in control. And I do believe in your intent. I believe in the purity of your heart. And honestly, if your heart isn't pure, I'm calling you to make it pure. If somehow you've got yourself in it and you're being carnal, stop. Repent and talk to your Savior. Put him first in everything that you do, including what goes on in this congregation. Humble yourself under his hand. Let him lead and guide you. But I believe in all of you. I believed in that team. That's why when I came home in October, I said, you all, this is what I feel. But you all need to go and pray. You all need to discern what it is that your possible role could be. And the reason I said possible is because in the end, I knew we would not move forward until we had brought it to you. Because as a congregation, you have the right to say no. You have the right to say no. I'm not going to apologize for what I feel from God, but nor am I going to feel bad about bringing myself as a leader and placing myself in submission to your will. If it was breaking the word of God, then obviously I don't submit to you and disobey God. But in this particular case, I'm not prepared to say that if you have a single pastor, pastor in a church, you're disobeying the word of God. I'm not prepared to say that. I am prepared to say that when I look at the Bible, the examples I find there are of groups of people leading churches, not a single person leading a church or churches. But I don't think we're breaking the word of God. And in fact, what I have proposed for you to consider is something I think that where we are being more true to the scriptures. 
I'm not prepared to say other churches must do that. I'm not prepared to do anything except bring it to you and say, I need you to pray. The mistake that would be made is if you mix up your grief about me leaving and this decision. And this is a normal thing. Let me reference the last transition. We've only had one. So my father and my mother, if you are newer with us, my father and my mother established this church in December of 1978 because God had called them to do so. In 2005, my father stepped down as the pastor, and I was voted in as the pastor. At that meeting, there was a whole lot of emotion and a whole lot of concern expressed about them, where they were going, what they were doing, were they well. Frankly, you all collectively really didn't pay much attention to me, which was kind of dumb because I was your future. But you were concerned. And I remember my dad saying to the congregation at that time, you can't make a decision about Steve based upon what you're feeling about us. So I'm going to say it to you the same way. You need to not make a decision about this path forward based upon your feelings about me. That would be a mistake. I can't control you, but I can warn you or caution you. Don't do that. I will absolutely be obedient to the voice of God. So for all of you that want to pray and spend all of your prayer energy praying for God to change his mind, you can do that. I would simply cite the scriptures and tell me how many times does he listen. But you can do that. And if he changes his mind, I will be obedient. But that's not really what's up for question here. What's up for question is, what's on that slide? The path forward. Our current bylaws are structured. In fact, they constrain me. My last duty, unless I did something immoral or unethical, where I was removed from the pastorate, my last duty is to bring to you a suggestion of who should replace me. And the only option I have in our current bylaws is to bring you a single pastor. So that's why we're talking like we're talking. Because I cannot resign. I don't feel to yet either. I'm trusting God with the timing. I'm trusting you that you're all trusting God with the timing. I did have to trust that you all wouldn't get mad at me and say, you know what, since you said that you are going to leave, leave now. We're firing you. Now, you all chuckle at that, but I had to get through that, right? I had to humanly work through that. That took trust. Lisa's mad at me. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> she outed herself, so I'm going to go with it. No. I knew that some of you were going to be very upset, and I had to trust you, and I have trusted you. And I haven't heard anybody fire me yet, so I think I'm okay. But the point is, is the moment I resign, what I have presented to you, that I be succeeded by a team, is no longer an option. 
Because the moment I resign, it triggers that I must be replaced by a single pastor according to our current bylaws. That's why on the website, and I'm going to go there in just a moment, that's why on the website I gave you draft copies that you could review of both the Articles of Incorporation and the bylaws. Because what we're really proposing is I want to know from you, do you in prayer believe in the vision that I've submitted to you from God, a vision I don't get to see brought to fruition? Do you believe our name should change so that it can be scalable, so that we can plant multiple campuses and multiple churches without having to break away, that they could stay connected to us if they so chose? Do you believe in a name that captures our vision frame better than does Newark United Pentecostal Church. I want you to pray about that. And that's why I've designed that we talked about these things in August and in September and now in October so that you have nearly six months that you can pray and discern what is the Lord saying to you. Not me trying to lobby you, not me trying to control you, not me trying to push on you, but rather me clearly and with passion submitting to you what I believe and then trusting you that you know how to pray to the same God that I serve and that collectively we can be in submission one to another because we are in submission to God. In like fashion, what's in front of you is the question, of whether you're willing, whether you believe, whether you've discerned in prayer, that yes, God is calling Newark to do something unique. And that I not be succeeded by a single pastor, but instead I be succeeded by a team. Those are the two things, along with two years financial report that we will transact at the annual business meeting the first Sunday in March of 2022. Neither one is binding. They simply tell me whether to proceed with all of the legwork necessary to actually render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and set us up so that when it is time for me to resign, we are positioned to do what I feel we are to do. If not, we stick with our current bylaws. And when it's time for me to resign, it will be my responsibility to submit to you a name for consideration as my successor. So what's happening in March is actually not really anything more than ascertaining from you, receiving from you, what you believe in prayer, what you believe as you have talked to God. And obviously, I wanted to give you some time to at least normalize a little bit what I hoped was a little bit of grief at me leaving. I didn't want you to feel as much as many of you are feeling. I'm sorry for that. I love every one of you. 
But we must be obedient. It's how this works. If that's not the truth, then I've preached to you in vain. Everything I've preached to you is in vain. And my dear brothers and sisters, everything I've preached to you is not in vain. It is the truth as established in the word. Therefore, we must be obedient. And yes, that comes at a cost. So I want you to have time to grieve so that when it comes time to make the decision, that discernment, you're not doing it just out of grief, but rather, yeah, there's a mix of heart, but there's also you and God have been talking. Now, part of discernment is understanding. So it's not just going to God, but it's understanding. And so I want to take five minutes, and I want to run through and make sure that the information I give you on that website, that you understand what I gave to you. That way you have understanding. And then I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to give you opportunity to ask questions. And there may be very few. There may be a lot. That's fine. Either way, I want to make sure there's a chance for you to ask questions. Please understand that if you have a question and you do not want to ask it in this format, but you want to ask it individually, you are welcome to do that. The only reason for creating a format here is because if you have the question, there's a really good chance that somebody else does as well. There's also something about openness. When we meet together as a group and we are open with what we're trying to understand and what we're trying to do. But that is not meant to preclude somebody who just due to personality or just the nature of the question wants to ask it privately. You can ask anything you want privately, but you can also ask it here. There are no constraints on what you need to ask here. All right, Tina, pop me up that website. For those of you that didn't remember, you can get there. You can't search for it, but you can get there by going to newyorkupc.info. You all know that one, right? We've repeated that enough. You should have that burned in your brain. Forward slash forward. Just the word forward. And that'll bring up this website. So you can't Google it. It means you got to know about it in order to get to it. All right? So the first thing I have, Tina, scroll up just slightly. So the first thing I have there is just a reminder for those of you that of the vision frame. Okay? If we are to go to teams, this is essential. Much of what is in the vision frame when you have a single pastor just has to be in the pastor's head. But when you got multiple people who are contributing, then you need something that unifies you. And that's why we have spent the time that we have spent developing and articulating some things that have been here for a long time. Do you really think that all making disciples of all is like a new concept around Newark? Those of you that have been around for a long time, you know very well that's not a new concept. We might not have said it using those words, but this has been around for a very long time. But see, part of the challenge with teams is you got to be able to articulate it so that everybody can be on the same page. So that's what the vision frame is about. And I don't need to dwell on that tonight because we got lots of small group lessons dealing with it over the next six months. And so there's lots of information about that. And you've all been looking at parts of this for quite some time. It's familiar to you. Second piece there is, of course, the proposed name. Tina, if you'll slide up. There you go. So the proposed name. And so I just want you to, to have that in front of you in case you'd forgotten it, okay? 
And, and we've talked about that as far as how that relates to that vision frame. How does that capture who we are? So that's one of the things that I'm in submission to you about. Do you see what I've articulated and are you willing to have our name change? Okay, so that's one decision. Now, Tina, if you'll scroll this up in such a manner that just the structure is showing. Keep going, keep going. There we go, right there. Perfect. Okay. Articles of incorporation. We have had articles of incorporation for probably 40 years. There's nothing new there. There's some adjustments in the draft to take into account how a team would lead that church. But articles of incorporation are our legal documents that make us recognized by the state. Okay? So there's nothing new there. Now, I'm laying it out for you so you can see it. And if you look at the text, it says it's a legal document that creates us as a nonprofit organization. If you don't do that, you're, you're not an, automatically a nonprofit, and then you've got to pay taxes, okay, which would totally change our structure. The second document is a legal document defining the structure of the church. The state cares not one whit about that. It cares only that we obey it. We're allowed to structure it according to ourselves. In fact, there have been some really funny church bylaws that the legal courts have ratified. Like, I would never structure a church this way, but because it was in their bylaws, that was ratified by the court system because they said that was the member's agreement. It was public knowledge. We've always had bylaws. We've never not had bylaws. Okay. Second thing, we've always had members. We've always had members as defined by the bylaw, and we've always been a church reaching for new members and calling them to join us. In other words, the discipleship path. We've always had that. There's nothing new there. We've always had an advisory board. Well, not always. We've had an advisory board for close to 30 years. They are the representatives of you on a quarterly basis so that there is financial accountability and policy accountability more frequent than once a year. Basically, the advisory board relieves the duty of every little decision and the level of accountability we want having to have an, a business meeting. And I know by how much you all love business meetings that you should be thankful for the advisory board because you all belch and moan about business meetings. I try to make them as short as I can, but you still belch and moan about them, all right? So the purpose of the advisory board is as representatives of you. Part of that advisory board is a board of trustees that actually transacts legal things such as purchasing a property, but they can't do it unless you tell them to, all right? So we've always had, not always, we've had an advisory board for 30-some years, okay? Ministry teams. How many of you here tonight, I won't make you stand up because you're comfortable, but how many of you in your own mind have served in Newark before? Before COVID, you did something in the church. That's all a ministry team is. It's various ways in which we function. It might be vacuuming the carpet. It might be playing an instrument. It might be putting out refreshments in the, in, in the, in the 
guest reception. It might be helping with a potluck. It might be helping at a, at a repast of a funeral. It might be sending a card. It might be praying for somebody that came through the prayer network. I mean, I could just keep going on and on. I don't need to do that. You all came to volunteer refresh. We have always had ministry teams. Now, we've not had as many coordinators of ministry teams as we are now because we were a pastor-centric model. So it meant me and the missus did most of it. That's why we're kind of tired. So while we're doubling down on those coordinators and there'll be more people involved with that, we have always had people that were involved in various ways and in various capacities of organizing the way we serve. So there's really nothing new there. Now, in the last five years, you all have been a part of watching me transition to a pastoral team. That is new. And what's really new about it is, is that a lot of places have pastoral teams. But they, don't, they didn't put as much authority in the hands of the pastoral team. Like, you might be on the pastoral team, but it doesn't mean you were preaching. It didn't mean that you were actually touching somebody. It, it, it just meant you went and did what the pastor told you to do. You were, you were an assistant. One of my friends said to me recently, they said, Steve, we're not shocked that you do things different. We've been your friend for a while. You all shouldn't be shocked that I kind of take the word seriously. And so when I see something in it, I run with it. If it's in the word, that's what we're going to do. And so as I've looked at this, I thought, they had elders. They had teams of people leading those congregations. I'm going to do this. Now, as I've told you before, my plan was to just keep receding back and growing the team. Do it nice and easy. About 10 years. Retired a bishop, travel around the world, enjoy my wife. All my kids would be grown. This still be my base. Maybe I'd move towards Philly or Wilmington or somewhere where I get a little distance, and I'd just keep receding back. That was my plan. I thought it was a pretty good one, too. It wasn't God's. I'm still working through that. I'm kind of ticked off because it messed up a bunch of stuff. I had plans. You know I had plans. In our current structure, the final line that says the senior pastoral team reads the senior pastor. So the only thing that's different, everything else is mechanics. The only thing that is different, and I'm going to repeat this ad nauseum tonight, the only thing that is different is instead of there being one senior pastor working with as large a team as we need of people caring for this congregation, there will be a team of pastors working with other pastors as large as we need to care for the congregation. Instead of one, multiples. And if you read the document, you know that the minimum is three, and the maximum is 11. So there's a great deal of flexibility based upon our size. 
I hope that we'll have more than three. I don't think we need 11 at the outset. We've got a little bit of recovery from COVID and things like that. I had us up to nine, okay? There were nine of us that were caring for you, that were, that were working. In that structure, I was the one with the vision and the structure, and then the pastoral team was the one that carried out the operations of that, grew in their ministry, grew in their teaching, grew in their preaching, and in caring for you. All I'm proposing to you is instead of me bringing you a single name, instead, at the the bottom of the triangle and the way I see it, the part that's responsible for vision and structure as God directs, still in submission to you, is a team of people. The pastoral team does not go away. That's why there's a senior pastoral team and there's a pastoral team, because I believe that the senior pastoral team needs to, and this is what we have written in the bylaws, needs to hold license with the United Pentecostal Church that secures this church as doctrinally and missionally, meaning taking the gospel to the whole world. So in order to be on the senior pastoral team, you must obtain licensure with the United Pentecostal Church. I believe there are lots of people who can serve in pastoral capacity that do not need licensure, and therefore the place for being able to do that is as the member of the pastoral team. Also, the level of responsibility as a member of the pastoral team is lighter and different than that of the senior pastoral team. Think what I was responsible for. That's what the senior pastoral team is responsible for. One to a team. That is the main change. Now, you are welcome, and in fact, you're going to need to eventually because you're going to need to vote on it. You got to read through the bylaws. You got to read through the mechanics of how that all works. But all of that is mechanics for a simple thing. Instead of one pastor, it's a team. And then finally, Tina, if you'll scroll up, just for those of you that both of those drafts are there. I'm not working on the drafts any further because it makes no sense to spend any more time on them until we have determined that that's the direction we want to go. So I've done enough that you all can tell what is happening. I want to take any questions and answer every question I possibly can tonight. If we reach 8 o'clock and you still got more questions, then I'll call another one of these in a month. If we don't, this will be the last one. You can ask any questions you want individually. And we're going to come to the annual business meeting the first Sunday in March. And we'll give you two years financial report where God has been so good to us. We already know that. I've, you know, I've let cats out of the bag, so to speak. But we'll give a formal report to you for 2020 and 2021. And then we will vote. Do we want to begin the process of changing our name? And the second is, is when it comes time for me to resign, do you want it? Are you willing to have a team succeed me? If it's no, then that sets our course. If it's yes, excuse me, then we have some legal work to do. And the timing of all of that, I'll be very transparent with you, and I'll bring that to you as we move along. But I'm not even going to worry about the timing of that right now until we have discerned as a congregation 
Do you feel in prayer what God has spoken to me is the way we need to go? All right. I think that covers everything that I wanted to cover, which I'm right on time. I wanted to be done in about 45 minutes. And so questions that you have. Let me, before you do that, I, forgive me, Lisa, because I shouldn't have said that until I said this. I forgot. A, beyond what God has spoken to me and said, leave it alone, I will unfold it. I do not know anything further as far as me personally. Minimum, folks. I can't leave until we've passed new bylaws. If you, in fact, in March say, let's go for this. Let's have a team su succeed you. I can't, if I do, I cause, for lack of a better term, a constitutional crisis. Because the moment I resign, it has to be a single pastor who, who succeeds me. So I'm not going anywhere rapidly. My family and I are preparing to go. Vincent is already secured in where he's going. Marcus and Caleb are already set for four years at Delaware. Caleb's in his second year. Marcus will be starting in fall of 2022. And so if the timing of that happens, of us leaving before either one of them is done, which I do anticipate, if the Lord leaves me in this limbo for four years, I'm going to be a little ticked off, but anyway. <laughs> but, hey, we're going to trust him with the timing. Okay. Um, so the two boys will be within the next month or so, actually maybe within the next week to two weeks, moving into Grandma and Grandpa's house. I don't know who to pray for most, Grandma and Grandpa or the boys. Um, so their two rooms are prepared, and they're, they're going to be moving in there, and that way they have stability for four years, and then whenever they finish their undergrad, depending on what they're doing, whether it's starting a job or whether they're going on for more schooling, they'll be poised to do that, all right? And I am very thankful and want to say thank you to my, my in-laws for allowing us to kind of come in and take over part of their home. Um, it's only two rooms. We've left the rest of it alone. It's all mom and dad's. Trust me, it's all mom and dad's. I was there this afternoon cleaning one of the rooms. It's all mom and dad's. But those two rooms are the boys, so that gives them their space, and that way they're not getting into there. And so then that leaves Regina and the two girls and I. We don't need to live in a four-bedroom house that way. It has always been my plan. I tried it with my parents' home. Many of you remember I had an accident. Regina and I had an accident where we got, we got a guy ran a red light. And so we, we made a decision that we um, were going to try as a part of our retirement plan to purchase my mom and dad's home and turn it into a rental. And we've done that for over a year now. And that has gone acceptably to me. And so I am simply going to flip my home into a rental. So over the next several months, we are going to radically downsize so that we can fit within a minimum of a two-bedroom apartment. And we will move into an apartment. That way we have downsized. And we are ready to go wherever God directs. And we don't have to do all of that. Frankly, I don't want to be getting in the way of the work that's already happening here in the church. So I want to play my part, but I don't want to get in the way of the team that's working. All of you that are working. And I get in people's way if I don't have anything to do. I'm high energy and I'll bother you. What's the little phrase you have for me, Joyce? Yes, she calls me Mr. Busy Fingers because I get into all kinds of things in the background and, oh, Steve's been here and has been messing around. So I want to be, I want to be here, I want to be active where I need to be active, but I also want to have something to be able to do. So we just, we feel in God when Rachel preached to you all and said, 
gather your provisions. I just felt the Lord say, that includes you, bucko. So, if you've noticed us selling furniture on, the, on Facebook Marketplace, that's why. If you want a piece of it, come get it. We're going to downsize so that we can live, the two girls and Regina and I, in a two-bedroom apartment. And that'll happen sometime by faith over the next few months, okay? God's got to open the apartments up to us, but we're, we're seeing indication that that's going to happen, all right? So that's us personally. I'm not going anywhere. When you see me gone, I'm just doing my normal pattern. I went to general conference, and then I went and did a focus week, just like I normally do. I'm not ducking anybody. I'm not leaving. Some of you have asked, when are you going to preach again? Well, I did preach this morning, but I'm preaching the same as I have been since I instituted the team. It's not any different. Okay? We're really not changing that. I am going to back up some in the provision that you're going to vote that way. And we will have to reverse courses. But I've already been building with a pastoral team for years now. So it's not really a change. All right, that's personal. Lisa. I don't know how to use this. There you go. You got it. Okay. I, I'm, I'm very broken up about this. You know that? I do. Okay. Um, I have two questions. Because I have a personal relationship with your parents and with you. And so when I call you or email you with any kind of problem, you know my life. How is a team going to know my life? Okay, that's, one. that's one. Um, let's see. What was the second question? I forgot it already. Okay. I'll come back to it. Yeah, if it comes back to you. So this is an excellent question that others of you, I am sure, have this question. So first of all, they're going to have to get to know you. And you're going to have to make yourself known to them. Correct. So one of the things, so first off is that they're already within the structure of the team, and this has already been in place, we already have you all divided up. There's groups of you that each has a pastor that is primary or focused upon that group of people. When you call the church office, if you get Joyce or anybody else, they have lists of who those are. And that's who, if all else is equal, that's who's going to call you back. Now, now if you stop and you think about that, there's two things. Number one, instead of one person trying to care for, before COVID, it was up to about 200 people. Because we could, on a Sunday morning, there were some Sunday mornings that we were bumping 180, Okay. I don't stretch over 200 people real well. I mean, I did it, but it stretches. When you divide it among a team, you get better care. You're not going to get me, but you are going to get care. And as soon as you face the reality that God has said, and this part is not negotiable, Steve's leaving. Once we navigate that, and that's what we're grieving right now, that's why we're struggling with, all of us are. Once you navigate that, it means you're going to get somebody new. Now, I, can, I, can I answer you for the sake of everyone else, something I already said to you? It's not really private, but when I first became pastor, Lisa was not so hot about me being pastor because she loved my mom and my dad. Nobody could replace James and Eleanor. 
Is that a fair statement? And I reminded her recently that somehow I learned how to pastor her. It was kind of miraculous. I don't know how it happened. Oh, I know it's not easy. (laughs) You said it, I'll own it, yes. Wasn't easy either side. So my simple answer to you, Lisa, and to all of you is, it will take transition. It will take mercy and grace both directions. But it can be done. It has to be done. Because I don't live forever. So God's model is not that our care is tied to just one person. It's tied to a body. But I will absolutely acknowledge it'll be bumpy at times. It will be uncomfortable at times. And I cite, in your particular case, Lisa, our, you know, I've known Lisa since I was a little boy. But it didn't mean I was her pastor. Being a little boy and being the pastor are two different things. So it took time. It took transition. For a while, she didn't really talk to me. She kept talking to my dad. (laughs) She kept talking to my mom, and I didn't get offended about it. And then slowly but surely, as they were unable to, she'd send me an email or she'd make a phone call, and, and I would sometimes blow it, but then sometimes I wouldn't. Slowly but surely, you build relationship. The strength of the team, one more thing to say to it, is the strength of the team is, is that even though they may, the team may have a primary, like Lisa's on somebody's team and that's their, they stay focused to make sure that Lisa's cared for. The whole team is aware of the whole congregation. So if one person can care for 200 people at a certain level, what can between 3 and 11 do? And now we're not even talking. That's just senior pastoral team. Now let me be blunt with you. It will be rougher before it's smoother. Because you all will have to transition. You've been in transition, but you'll have to continue. You'll have to choose to trust. But if I brought somebody in here had them preach to you for three Sundays, which is our model. Any of you with Pentecostal background, you know how it is. Somebody comes in, they preach, and then they become the pastor. That's not going to be any better. It's going to be horrendously worse. So is it different? Absolutely. Will there be transition? Absolutely. Will it be bumpy at times? Absolutely. But the answer to the question, how is this going to work? Division of labor. And that team will then be able to, through that, I believe ultimately provide you even better care. And I've been arguing you all have been getting pretty good care over the last five years, a lot better than what I gave you. You called the church. You didn't even get anybody. You got a voicemail. And nothing happened until I called you back. Did you think of your second one? Okay. You might not be able to answer this, but like right now, you're getting a salary. I don't know how you propose, and you may not know yet, how the pastoral team is going to be paid. That's a good question. Thank you for asking that. So there are two things that I'll say to this. Number one, is it 
The reason that this is probably going to make a lot of people nervous, and I don't mean us locally, I mean around the movement, is because it is conceivable that you could have 11 pastors who were all bivocational and nobody was full-time. Well, that makes people like me really nervous because then we don't have a job. Now, let me go one step further, though. What I believe that it does is it shifts the dialogue about compensation from the only way we can have a pastor is that we, we hire one. We make it so that they can give themselves wholly to our needs. It shifts it to where now those that are paid are done so according to a strategy and a plan. So I believe you're going to have a mix. I believe you're going to have a pastoral team, some that are compensated, and some that are going to say, no, I want to stay bivocational. Maybe my job works that way. I like my career. I want to work for 30 years, and I get a nice retirement. That's how I want to do it. I believe there will be some that come on and serve for a season, and then life's changes will happen, and they'll shift. So you got to get comfortable with some movement. Ultimately, who decides that? Two factors. It's the same factors that have always decided it. You have to sign off on anything that happens. Second, it has to meet the budget. The recommendation of what to do will come from the senior pastoral team, just like it has come from me. But your question is an excellent one because it's, that's exactly right. It's the elephant in the room that makes everybody nervous. And I'm not talking about makes all you nervous. I'm talking about all of the preachers who hear of what I'm doing. It makes them nervous. I don't know if it's pink or gray, but it's an elephant. So the simple answer, again, I tend to give more detailed answers. I apologize. The simple answer is, is that it has to work within the financial structure of the church. It is not that everyone is paid. And who makes that recommendation? The senior pastoral team. Who signs off on it? You do. Because they have to be elected. And if you read the bylaws, you'll see the structure, the mechanics of how that, how that happens. If you read the draft of them, it's how that happens. No one just gets put on the senior pastoral team. It has to come before the congregation just as no one just became pastor here or even associate pastor without you voting for it. Other questions? Sister Joyce. Oh, there's an online question. Yes, then read it. Okay. Okay, with the team pastoral concept, regarding the senior pastoral team, will there be a hierarchy within that team? So a senior to the team, a leader over the leaders. Excellent question. Again, I'm going to give you even a fuller answer. I've had... You notice that I told you, and if you read the bylaws, you'll see minimum of three, maximum of 11. Three and 11 are both odd numbers. Several of my counselors have said to me, 
Steve, are you sure that the bylaws do not need to stipulate that the team can only be an odd number? Now, for those of you with a little business background, you know immediately why. For those of you that don't have it, let me explain. An odd number means you never have a deadlock on a, on, on a decision because it's an odd number. I'm not opposed to that getting adjusted. We may even do that. But my answer perhaps is too idealistic, but it's extremely biblical. The answer is no, there's not a hierarchy. Each member does its unique part because there's no need for a head because we've already got a head, and his name is Jesus. So if there happened to be four pastoral team members and they could not come to a consensus. They need to not move until they are able to come to a consensus. And they need to place themselves in submission to the head whose church it is until that has been made known. It's interesting, isn't it? Marriages are not an odd number. They are stipulated, not just permitted, stipulated to be an even number. One man, one woman. One of my greatest regrets in life is that I spent the first few years of my marriage thinking, that I was the head of my wife. I'm her partner. She and I do not always agree, trust me. She's one of the most pig-headed people you've ever met. I know you don't believe me, but trust me, I live with her. So what are we supposed to do when we don't agree? I used to think it was, well, since I'm the man, I make the decision. That's not biblical. I'm not going to tonight teach you everything I've already taught and will teach again, but that's not biblical. No, she and I, for our family, if we reach a place that we're not in agreement, it sounds like a good chance to stop and pray and don't move until God makes clear what needs to happen. So my simple answer, which sounds really idealistic, is no, there's not a hierarchy. Instead, each member carries out their unique gifting, just like the body's supposed to be doing, because there's really only one head. His name is Jesus. We're filled by his spirit. We're unified by his blood and his name. And if we're willing to, he can speak. He doesn't have a volume problem. We have a listening problem. I will agree with that. But he doesn't have a volume problem. So if we hit a place as a team where we're kind of stuck, that's a signal that we need to slow down and open our ears to the leading and guiding of the Spirit. That does not mean that if the senior pastoral team is dealing with an issue that there cannot be dissent. Dissent meaning somebody says, I don't really like that 
doesn't mean that after having cast that vote or expressed that opinion, they can't say, but we've now thoroughly vetted this, let's move forward. So it doesn't require unanimous anything. But if they're deadlocked, we're not going to fix that by who's the leader. Now, let me answer this person. Don't tell me who it is either, Joyce. I know later I can go look at it, but I, I don't want to know it right now. A lot of people have said to me, there's always a leader that surfaces. Yeah, I know. I'm that leader. I'm that type personality. What a great opportunity for that leader to model submission because of their reverence for Christ. And if you've wondered what I've been doing for the last two to three years, as you've watched me step back, I've not been quitting on you. I've been modeling something to you, something I wish I'd have understood a lot of years ago, but I understand it now. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. There's no more, there's nobody more type A than me. There's nobody more type A than me. Say, what about your daddy? I went toe-to-toe with my daddy. He might be equal with me, but there is nobody more type A than me. And if I can submit myself to the body as unto Christ, so can any other leader. And if they can't, that's a problem. Any other questions? Marcus. The reason we're using the microphone is so that those who are online can also hear it. That way we're not losing it. Uh, why is it specified that the pastoral team can only be at minimum three people and not two? Two, in my opinion, is not a team. It's not one, but it's not a team. Now, that's a judgment call, Marcus. To be very precise, as soon as you go over one, you got more than one. So it's really a judgment call on on our part and really kind of on my part. I kind of actually handed to us that I said, "I, I, I don't feel comfortable that we really have a team if it's any less than three. Sister Becky. This is just probably because I don't really understand what you said, so I'm going to ask. Did you mean that possibly when we have small groups, the leader or leaders of that would be the advisors or pastor for the people in that small group? That's a good question. Actually, it's a sign of your intelligence, not that you didn't understand. Actually, extrapolated out. You could set up the structure that way. That where they're each small group or multiple small groups, two or three of them, were under a single pastor. We have not chosen to do that. In fact, we've chosen to do the opposite. So you are organized in small groups. But then we have chosen to then kind of randomly, not without intentionality, but randomly make that 
who is your point person? Who is paying attention particularly to you? Paying attention whether, you know, you're missing small groups or seeing you in church. And, you know, if a need comes up, if a call comes into the church, et cetera, et cetera. We've kind of made them so that they don't match the small groups. Because your first level of care is your small group. So that's where your level of intelligence, Sister Becky, kicked in. It was not ignorance. You actually are, you've heard us. Your first level of care is your small group. When you have a need, when you have a prayer request, what have we told you to do? Reach out to your small group members. But there is a role for shepherding. There is a role for a pastor alongside of the body ministry as well. And that's the level we're talking about. And we didn't want it, at least at this point, we chose not to make it match the small groups, but rather be spread across. Excellent question. Thank you. Brother Brian. So, um, so uh, what would the, or have you, um, um, have you devised a system, f or not a system, but another word, but, uh, but um, uh, uh, to uh, bring somebody on to the pastoral team, like, you know what I'm getting at. And another question is that you're saying for the care, like, uh, do we know uh, publicly, like, who are, um, who's designated to, like, you said you had us in groups? <laughs> if you want to know it, yes, you can ask. Call Joyce at the church and at the church office and say, who's my pastor? I don't like them. I want a new one. No, you don't get to do that. You didn't get to do that with me. You don't get to do that with the team. When you called up and found out, oh, he's the pastor. I don't like him. <laughs> but, no, we're not hiding at all. Absolutely. No, it's not, it's not hidden. It's not. Exactly. Just, I don't know it off the top of my head, but if you call Joyce up, she can tell you. And it could change. That's right. And it could change. So let me answer that. It could change as we grow, as somebody steps off of the team for one reason or somebody else comes onto the team. Yes, there could be a shuffling as we divide that up and we're trying to. And the reason for the division of labor is totally just simply so that if I'm caring or paying attention to 20 to 25 people, I can give better care and attention there as I learn how to do that than I can to 75 or 100 or 150. So that's the whole point of it. But yes, there's fluidity to it. But at any point, if you want to know who your primary person is, now, if you call Joyce, let me go on before I answer your other question. If you call Joyce and that person maybe isn't available or your question or your need actually is in the strength of another pastoral team member, they're going to step into that place. So it's mainly so that we can pay attention. And of course, during COVID, we did it immediately because we didn't get to see you in church. We couldn't tell if you were online. We had no mechanism to care for you unless we got very intentional. And that's what we did. And I'm not telling you we did a perfect job of it. I'm sure we didn't. But that was our intent. That's what we were trying to do. Now, your first question. Yes. Absolutely. So if I call the office and I want a particular pastoral member for something, maybe it's a meeting, something I need counsel in, can I request? Yes. Will you get them? Not necessarily. Part of it will have to do with availability. Part of it will have to do with also the team, knowing what strengths are there. But it's always appropriate. 
there's no problem for you making a request. None at all. Absolutely none at all. Did I handle that well, Bank, or did you want to add some? Here we, here we go. All right, we're not doing popularity contests here. We're not going down this road. We're not, we're not going down this road. <laughs> you guys are a bunch of skunks. We'll get, we'll get into, we will get into the weeds by the time this is over. So no, no more of this. Let's go back to your other question. If... I just wanted to point out that that's one of the other beauties, in my opinion, of a pastoral team, is that cross-contact. You know, each one of us have something different, and whoever else might be on the team at some point. And so, therefore, you get the value. You know, you get the beauty of being able to have input from multiple people. And if you haven't noticed, for the last two to three years, um, none of us meet with you alone. A, that's good accountability. It keeps things kosher and proper, but second is it means you get two different perspectives. So as you're dealing with a need, you get two different perspectives. I think that's better. It doesn't require of one person to be everything. I'm a talented guy, but you know I'm a jerk every once in a while. I miss the point sometimes. Y'all don't need to feel nervous about that. You know it's true. So what if you have a bunch of people? Because everybody's a jerk sometimes. Everybody's missing something sometimes. But when there's a group, if they are unified by a common vision, if they're being led by the Spirit, and they're in mutual submission to one another, I think we're doing a better job. All right, back to Brian's first question, which is, how does somebody come on and off? Yes, Brian, it's in the bylaws. So you just told me you hadn't read the bylaws. You didn't download and read them. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just being ornery. But yes, there is a method. And that's, I alluded to it, so actually I precipitated your question. So I, I, I'm, I'm being ornery, but it's a really good question. Because there is a process whereby somebody can be involved in that senior pastoral team and then something in life changes, calling changes, whatever, there's the ability for them to step back to maybe a ministry coordinator, maybe a member of the pastoral team. Maybe they're taking a year off. They're only serving. There is that ability to move that way. It also means that with a team, you can have younger people serve. You might be a little nervous about putting a 20-year-old as your senior pastor. But what if they're one of a team? Do you think the 20-year-old has some perspectives that us old farts don't? Does it matter to reach the lost? I would argue it does. So, yes, there is a process. Again, it's mechanics, but there's a process, and you all sign off on it. There is no one... Basically think of the senior pastoral team members. They are officers of the church. You have to vote them in. That's in those draft bylaws. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if you want to look at the mechanics of them, again, I don't want to dwell on that at this point because the real question is, do you want 
me succeeded by a team. Now, once that's done, then we'll go through those bylaws with a fine-tooth comb. No, 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 it's fine. It's a good question because I actually alluded to it, Brian. So I don't have any problem pointing to it. I just don't want to go down in and tell you blow by blow exactly how it works. But you are free to look at it. If you download the bylaws, you can read through it, and it'll tell you exactly how it works. When he asked that, it brought something to mind. Um, can you articulate just for a bit the difference between the senior pastoral team and the pastoral team? Because in our language, those have kind of collapsed. Okay, first thing that makes a distinction is, think of me and the rest of the pastoral team. I didn't lose being senior pastor, even as I worked with a team. Now, let's be more specific than that. It's small text. If you go to the website, it'll look better. Senior pastoral team will do everything that the pastoral team and ministry coordinators do. In fact, pastoral team members and senior pastoral team members might even be ministry coordinators over certain things. But there's something that the senior pastoral team has to do and has to provide that I have provided. It's the same. Vision and the structure of that vision. God still talks to individuals. What a team does is it makes it so that when he speaks, instead of it just being a bright idea and we run with it, it gets vetted by the whole team. I've tried not to do this, and I'm sure my father, my predecessor did as well, but some of you have been a part of a church where a pastor gets a bright idea and suddenly everything goes towards that bright idea until the pastor gets tired of that bright idea and then they go to another bright idea. A team kind of takes the excesses out of that. It's not that that pastor didn't hear from God, but there's heart, there's passion, there's faith, and then there's mind and logic and structure and operations. Got to have both. So the distinction between the senior pastoral team and the pastoral team, in my mind, is two things. Number one is the senior pastoral team have to be ratified or voted upon by you. They're officers. Why are they officers? Because not only just legally, but vision, they're the ones that are going to lead the congregation. In a humble posture, in a submitted posture, but they're going to lead the congregation. They're going to cast vision and the structure necessary to carry out that vision. Then the pastoral team not the senior pastoral team, but the pastoral team works in concert with that senior pastoral team to take that structure and put it into operation and lead those ministry coordinators and that fan out into the body. And in a lot of things, it will be collapsed, just like I've never made a hard distinction. We'll just say the pastoral team. I was always the senior pastor. I've never stopped being the senior pastor. Even as I had eight other people who were on the pastoral team, I was still the senior pastor. But in a lot of things, I didn't need to make the distinction. I worked in concert with them. But what did I provide that they didn't? Vision and structure. Yeah. 
Now we're saying that vision is going to come from a team. Yes, Cassandra? Um, um, is there a uh, person limit on the pastoral team, like just the pastoral team? Also, I assume the senior pastoral team just choose who's on the pastoral team. So first of all, there is no limit specified in the bylaws for who's on the pastoral team. It's as the senior pastoral team sees fit. It's the way it has been. And the reason it is that way is because it's got to do with scope and size. You move along and you reach a point where this church has established 15 campuses. How many pastoral team members do you need to carry all that out? Quite a few, right? Okay, so no. The answer to that question, a very good question, is no, there is no limit. Second, who is on the pastoral team? Yes. That is a development, that is a function of the authority. And again, the bylaws, if you read that, it specifies the authority and the responsibilities of the senior pastoral team. It really mirrors a lot of the way that mine was. Okay? That's who's ministry coordinators, how those teams are structured, who's on the pastoral team. That's all a function of that vision and structure of the senior pastoral team. So the answer to the first question, are there limits? No. Answer to the second question, is it the senior pastoral team that is responsible for that administration of the pastoral team? Yes. In our current draft, that is how it is structured. And it's, it really mirrors in many ways the way that we function now. It's just instead of one person filling the role of senior pastor, it's a team. Any other questions, Sister Becky and Brother Wayne? Can you repeat again how the senior pastoral team is chosen? I never told you. I told you to go read the bylaws. <laughs> I didn't tell you. I told Brother Brian to go read the bylaws. And I'm going to tell you to go read the bylaws. Because at this point, the process, it's mechanics. And it's all right there. You can go and read it. But it'll, it'll confuse us here tonight to get into that. And again... It will matter if you say, yes, we want to be succeeded by a team. But the basic premise of being led by a team versus one person, really, we can change how it's chosen. That's not the main point. The main point is, is are you willing to have me succeeded by a team? But to answer your question, download that, those bylaws and you can read it in there. Everything's laid out there. Yes, yeah, Sister Becky? How was the regular pastoral team chosen? By me. Okay. And therefore will be chosen by the senior pastoral team, the one who succeeds me, the team that succeeds me. That's correct. And it's fluid. Desi and Rachel are still on our pastoral team. Do you know why they are? Because I said so. I'm not being rude. I'm, I'm answering, I'm, I'm illustrating, I'm being funny, but I, I'm illustrating because I said so. Now, why did I say so? Because right now, Desi and Rachel are committed to one year. After that one year, we don't know what will happen. So I didn't see the point, and they were willing to stay involved. 
They were willing to stay on Slack. That's one of our ways of communication. They were willing to still participate. For example, I know that Meg either has already had or will have some conversation as she is preparing for Bible quizzing orientation. Who's she having it with? Desi. Why? Because he did it before. Oh, but he's gone. Yeah, so what? We live in an exciting age, folks. We can talk. We can communicate. We can do things that couldn't happen before. So I said to Desi and Rachel, are you willing to stay on the team? You're not. You didn't feel to stay and become members of the senior pastoral team. Are you willing to stay on the pastoral team? They said, yeah. Thumbs up. Now we have that resource. And we're not going to abuse that because we want them to go and do the work that we sent them to do in Vanuatu. But what a blessing. Brother Wayne. Uh, I know uh, Des and Rachel is on the pastoral team, but God called them to the mission field. But, you know, suppose every once or twice, I mean, every year or every two years, God called one of the members to the mission. Will he replace them? Excellent question. So let me, let me restate that to be even more overt. So one question is, is how are they chosen? The second is, is what happens if the minimums of the senior pastoral team are met, but somebody gets called somewhere else? The senior pastoral team then has the responsibility to either redivide responsibilities and not bring anybody else on, or bring someone to the congregation and say, we do believe somebody needs to step up. And here's the plus of it. Part of how this can work is that it might be that they, they, they need somebody else put on the team and there's somebody ready to step into that role. They've proven themselves and they're ready to step in that role. Or it might be that something that that person was doing, it just gets handled by a pastoral team member instead of a senior pastoral team member. We have to have three, the way it's written right now, you have to have three senior pastoral team members. Anything less doesn't feel to me like a team. But whether there's five or seven or eight or 10 or 11, we're leaving that in the discretion of the senior pastoral team since they're the ones doing the work. But they can't just unilaterally take a step. They have to bring it to you. And all of the mechanics of that, again, are in those draft bylaws. I'm not being a punk about it. I just don't want to belabor us here with some of the detail until you've read that. So if, you get, if you're really curious about it right now, you can go and read it. But I do want to emphasize right now what really needs to be in front of you is very simply, we know that God has called Steve to go elsewhere. When he leaves, do we in our spirits, in prayer, do we feel that what he feels in God, that he's to be succeeded by a team, is in keeping with God? That's the question. It's that simple. All the rest is mechanics. And honestly, Brother Wayne, Brother Brian, Sister Becky, we could do it three or four different ways. Like, it's not a right or a wrong. We have a system, but we might look at it and go, you know what, that's not a good system. But we have a draft right now. Don't apologize for asking questions, folks. So, so, so as it stands right now, like uh, Brother Desi and Sister Rachel... And Arash and Meg, are they on the pastoral team right now? Because you just said that that, that right now, 
They're on a pastoral team. So, so when this goes to the, to the vote, and then the, uh, uh, would they automatically go to the senior team? In March, the first Sunday in March, all you are voting is to tell me whether you are willing for me to prepare to be succeeded by a team. Nothing changes. I'm still the senior pastor. I won't cease to be senior pastor until either I resign or you fire me. I'm praying you don't fire me. I've not yet resigned. So everybody that you named, as well as Leela and Brother Moss, everybody, Sister Debbie, all of these people, my wife even, all of them serve on the pastoral team, our current structure. Once you indicate in March, there will then go into action that I now know that I am, now it's time for me to get a lawyer involved. Now it's time for me to take these drafts and work them over and make sure that they are thoroughly vetted. And then I will need to call a business meeting in which you literally will vote to change the bylaws from our current to those drafts. Once that happens, then I will have to at that point either be resigning or be presenting to you a whole team that would include myself as a member of the senior pastoral team. And if I did that, then I'd just resign from that team. You wouldn't have any problem when I resign. I will present those names at that point. And the reason I've resisted having you focus on who they are right now is because time could move along. It could be a year from now. And a year from now, I don't know, something could have happened, some, a choice. So we want to make that choice. We want to bring that at the point when it is. But in thinking about it, yes, that's a legitimate way of thinking about it. Yes. Yeah, I don't, I, don't have, I don't have a bunch of people outside that you don't know about that I'm about to pop in here. Joyce. Oh, an online question. Yes, another online question. What is the mechanism in place if this team model does not work out? Is there an option to go back to a pastor-centric model? There's always an option to go to whatever model you need to go to because guess who's in control of the bylaws? You are. I can't pass bylaws. I can write a draft, and it's just a draft. So the simple answer is yes. Now, would it be clunky? Sure. But anytime you change the bylaws, as we're discussing here, it's clunky. But if it's not working, absolutely, as a congregation, you can put it to another format. The format we have saying that a senior pastor or a pastor and an associate pastor are officers, that's a decision we made. The federal government doesn't stipulate it. We stipulate it. So I think I answered that question. Yeah, you're not locked in. I wouldn't suggest you try it for six months and go, oh, I don't like this and just quit on it. I mean, I'd, 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 I'd work it a little longer than that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I wouldn't. There's enough work involved here, and I'm being careful enough and methodical enough that 
Yeah, I would give it a little bit more time. But yes, the simple answer is yes. Just a quick question. Um, this, this whole team thing has me confused. Um, tell me, what is your plan to have the, the pastoral team on the same page? Like, are they going to meet together? Um, do you see what I'm saying? It just feels broken up. It's already happening. It has been happening for three years. You all just didn't know about it. Yes. And now I'm being funny here. Your question's a very legitimate question. Lots of my peers have looked at me going, how are you going to do this? So here's what I'm going to challenge. And I'm going to speak directly to Lisa, but let you all listen in. How does a law firm stay on the same page doing what it's doing? They have meetings. They have communication channels. They have different mechanisms for how that they communicate. They have systems that are in place, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, ma'am, that's what I've been doing over the last five years. Desi and Rachel, I'll give you one story, just an anecdotal story. And then I saw a hand. Sister Julie, was that you? Yeah, I'll come to you next. Okay. Who? Oh, I thought you meant my Vincent. I'm like, where's Vincent? Vincent's in Columbus. He's probably online too, but anyway, because he's nosy. Um, so Desi, Desi was, um, as Desi and Rachel were traveling for their deputation, their missions deputation, he was uh, in a church and they were asking him, you know, because all through deputation they said, you know, our home church is Newark. This is still where we're based out of. All of our belongings are there. They're our home church. They're the ones sending us, etc. And in the process, pastors or, or different ones, assistants would ask, well, how does this work and so on. So Desi was on his phone, and there was a man who was chief operating officer for a tech company who happened to be in one of these churches. I forget where it was, but it was chief operating officer. And he noticed something on Desi's phone, and he looked at it, and he said, is that church-related? Desi smiled and said, yeah. He's like, you use Slack? I said, Desi said, yep. And we use Asana. The guy goes, what? It's like, oh, yeah. So my answer, now, those of you that don't know any of those things, don't worry about them. They're, they're communication channels. They're project management tools. Yes. Now, are we perfect at it? No, but we're better than we were, and we're going to keep getting better at it. Yes, we communicate. There are meetings there, is, there are private locked-in channels. Only certain people are on certain of those channels, depending on what their responsibilities are, that we can communicate. Oh, yeah, we talk about you all the time. <laughs> I want to be a bug on the wall. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm being ornery. I mean, we do talk about you, but not in a negative way. We just care for you. <laughs> so, you... Team and then a pastoral team. Yes. Okay, so what's the difference between both? And then, just like there are groups within the church, um, children's ministry, cleaning ministry, there are heads over of those. Mm-hmm. Me, there should be a head over the church. If you're going to have a head over these groups, there should be a head over the church. Good question. Is that it? Those two? Or do you have more? Okay. All right. Yeah. And you, like, 
Okay, let me get up in camera because then that way people who are watching aren't bored. They're not staring at just a blank screen there. Um, so Sister Julie asked two very good questions. Let me take the second one first. My answer, it's a very good question. A lot of my peers are asking it too. My answer is there is a head over the church. His name is Jesus. And when I study the New Testament, I can't find our model of a single pastor over the church. Every example I go to, I find that those pastors, the word elder, presbyteros, and the word bishop or overseer, episkopos, those two words are used interchangeably in the New Testament to refer to the pastor. And they always show up in, in the plural as a group. Example, Paul meets, he, he's headed to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to get arrested because uh, prophets have been telling him he's going to get arrested. And so he, he's coming back and he meets in Miletus and he sends word to Ephesus and he doesn't call for the pastor of Ephesus. He calls for the elders of Ephesus. And he meets with them as a group. And he gives all of the instructions of him, the founder of the church at Ephesus, to this elders. They're all pastoral instructions, but it's to a team. And so my, my simple answer is, and this is the part that I realize that is very different, but I think the New Testament, it doesn't give us a model of a head over a local church. It gives us a local church who's under the single headship of Christ. And so there are responsibilities that need to be carried out within the body. But it looks like the best way for that overseer, that care for the body in vision, in structure, in shepherding, is actually by a team. My job description comes from, uh, I think it's 1 Peter 5. It might be 2 Peter. Forgive me, I never remember whether it's 1 or 2. I can quote it to you. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, there's the episcopos or bishop, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he will give you your crown of righteousness. He will give you your reward. He's addressing a team of which he says he's a part. The elders, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. I think it's more biblical. That was the first. Second question, what's the difference between the senior pastoral team and the pastoral team? And please forgive me, I probably should come up with something a lot more creative. But I basically all I did was I took our current structure of a pastoral team with a senior pastor. And I just made the senior pastor a team. So everything that the distinction between myself and the pastoral team is basically the distinction that will be between the senior pastoral team and the pastoral team. The only change is Instead of it being one person 
who's casting vision and articulating structure. It's a team. And again, the specifics of all of that, Sister Julie, all of the mechanics of that, all the stuff that you guys probably don't want to read but are going to have to. Okay, and good. You're the first one that's owned up that you read it, so kudos to you. Um, and thank you for not letting me throw you under the bus with Brian and Becky and a few other ones. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm just giving people a hard time. Yeah, so the, 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 main, the, the main distinction, and that's why I did this here, is I... The best that I can tell you, and I'm sorry because this is actually new to you. Because honestly, we never really told you what I did. I just did it. It's about vision. It's about seeing what is not yet. It's about hearing the voice of God give direction and following it. I'll give you an example. What made the decision? Why do we suddenly now support every career, and intermediate missionary of the United Pentecostal Church. Because that's a vision I've had from God for years. And we finally reached the point where we financially could do it. That's vision. What makes a decision about it's time to have multiple services or it's time to buy a piece of property? You all have the say, but who cast the vision? It's been the senior pastor. It's been the pastor. And all I'm proposing to you is that instead of me being succeeded by yet another one person, I be succeeded by a team. I hope that helps. Follow-up question? I'm getting my exercise tonight. No, 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 it's not a problem. Who is the check? So there's checks and balances and everything. Yes, ma'am. So who would be the checks and balance for the pastoral team? I know Jesus, they have to be prayed up, prayed through, ready. No, no, no. No, that's a good question. So let me answer that. So who's, how are the checks and balances? So the checks and balances are a couple of fold. Currently, what's the check and balance on me? you the members, and my responsibilities. So the advisory board is also a check and balance. If I don't come in and give a financial report every quarter, advisory board can raise a red flag because they're all members. If I don't follow policies that we've set, advisory board can raise a red flag and say, hey, wait a minute, you're not following policies. If I want to change those policies, I can't just rewrite them. They have to come through the advisory board because that's part of their responsibility. And so I have to make my case and, and so forth. So the checks and balances on the senior pastoral team are the same as they are on me. The membership, the bylaws, and the advisory board. The pastoral team, what's the checks and balances on them? The same as it is now. The senior pastor, I'm the check and balance. If there's something wrong with that pastoral team, I answer for them because they work under the aegis of my authority. In like fashion, the pastoral team would work under the aegis of the authority of the senior pastoral team, which is accountable to membership, the bylaws, and the advisory board. Again, I'm going to stay, I told you I was going to repeat this ad nauseum. The only real substantive change, everything else is mechanics, is instead of one, 
who's the pastor. It's a team. Question? I, I want to speak to that point. And actually, the pastor team is also a check on the pastor team. When you have a multiple number of people involved in decision making and that, you, that, that team holds each other accountable. So it's actually more accountability. Steve has less accountability in a sense, being one in a senior pastoral level than a team would have being multiples. And actually, she made a point that she didn't know she made, and I forgot to say it. It's not written in, but I have accountability to the pastoral team, as it is right now, even though it's not written into the bylaws. As soon as I empower them, because I'm telling you, these people are not yes people. They're downright impudent. They're bossy. I don't know where they learned this. But there is that. So there's both the accountability within the team itself. But there's also accountability in the structure as well. Even though it's not even spelled out. Both ways. Exactly, both ways. And I, I neglected to say that, so thank you for prompting me in saying that. Brother Vincent. Brother Vincent. The wise one, as opposed to the furry one. Okay, I just want to change um, gear a little bit. Pertaining to the name change, yes, sir. Um, all the by bylaws will be, still be in place. And number two, if someone from here decides to go down to Dover and plant a church from here, what would be the name? Would they call it Jacob's Well of Dover? Excellent two questions. So first of all, in March, when you say yay or nay, the first action that we will do, and forgive me, I'm going to go in a little bit into the weeds. We will go and we will register DBA, doing business as Jacob's Well. Because I'm not going to redo the Arts of Incorporation. I'm not going to redo the bylaws when we know we're doing this other work. But there is an ability to, any corporation can have multiple entities under it in which it does business as. Let me give you a, a short primer. If I started a business and I called it um, uh, Beardsley Enterprises, Beardsley Enterprises could then start an ice cream shop. It could start a uh, toffee shop. It could start a shoe shop. It could start any number of businesses. And that same corporation then does business as these separate ones. So that would be our step one, is we would simply do business as Jacob's Well. Then once we have done all the legal work to change the Articles of Incorporation, where it would formally change our name, and we do our bylaws, then we probably would still be doing, doing business as, because, and here I need to give a shout out to Sister Linda. Did you know that? She came up after the name and she's like, you better go check whether blah, 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 blah. And I forget all that she said to me, but I went to go look, and here's our little problem. I got the website, so we own the website, the marketing side. And Delaware doesn't have a Jacob's Well. But Delaware, as you all know, is the place of incorporation for like 50 to 60% of the nation. So there happens to be, not a church, it's some kind of a charity that has Jacob's Well in it. So what we're probably going to have to do is incorporate 
not the name Jacob's well, but probably the ministry of Jacob's well. That'll work, and then we'll do business as Jacob's well. Your second question. The reason I'm proposing a name like what I've proposed is because, yes, then we can do business as Jacob's Well Newark, Jacob's Well Bear, Jacob's Well Dover, Jacob's Well Wilmington, Jacob's Well. And it's scalable. Did that sufficiently answer your question? <laughs> Thank you. Excellent questions. Thank you. Another online question. What will be the parameters and qualifications needed for those in the future to be placed on the pastoral team? For example, how did you choose those currently on the pastoral team, and will that be the same moving forward? Excellent question. Everything that you ask there will, as far as who's on the pastoral team, not the senior pastoral team, the parameters of how you can be a senior pastoral team member are specified in the bylaws. Just like there were specifications about how I could be the pastor. The pastoral team is not specified in the bylaws. Specifically and intentionally. Because you do not want to put into your bylaws more than you need to put into your bylaws. You have a senior pastoral team specified and controlled by the parameters of your bylaws. Every one of them has to hold license with the United Pentecostal Church International, which means that they have to be in good standing and believe the doctrinal statement and lifestyle of the United Pentecostal Church International. That team is then given the freedom, just as I have had, to call people into service, to call people into ministry coordinators, to call people into leadership development, to call people into pastoral development, to call them into the pastoral team. So the parameters would be internal to the operations of the senior pastoral team and is their responsibility. It will not be specified of the pastoral team. It will not be specified in the bylaws. The senior pastoral team, those are specified in the bylaws. You guys are, you're doing good tonight. You're, you're doing really good tonight. You're a sharp bunch and you're doing good. I'm getting nervous though because you're, you're going at a pace that we might need another one. Um, oh my goodness, I forgot it. Yeah. If the church's name, church's name is changed to Jacob's Well, will people hunting the United Pentecostal Church Will there be anything online that distinguishes that? Or uh, will Jacob's, Jacob's Well be a United Pentecostal Church name? The answer is yes. Right now, um, no, they're not here. I was looking. We had a new couple here today, and I asked Gretchen how she found us. And she said, well, I Googled a Pentecostal church. Right now, if you Google... You pull out your phone right now, and you Google a Pentecostal church. You don't even put United Pentecostal. We will show up at the top of the searches. I don't want to go into the weeds, but the reason for that has nothing to do with our name. 
It has to do with these things called tags. And when we put those tags in, Google uses those to find us. So you are an excellent question, but you are reflecting a generation. The fact that United Pentecostal Church is not in our name, then how are we going to be known as United Pentecostal? It's because of our tags. It's not based on our name. In fact, it doesn't matter how that your name is. It matters how you're tagged. And we will, when we make that switch over, we will set up every bit of those tags so that when somebody puts in Pentecostal Church, guess what's going to show up at the top now? Jacob's well. So it doesn't, it doesn't rely on our name is the basic thing. And that, it's not like a phone book, exactly. It's, it, the web is not, it doesn't operate that way. Absolutely it is. By definition, we are a United Pentecostal Church because your pastors are all licensed with the United Pentecostal Church. That is the mechanism by which you are a United Pentecostal Church. I will not bore you with affiliation, non-affiliation, but that is not what makes you a United Pentecostal Church. What makes you a United Pentecostal Church is that your pastor holds license, holds credentials with the United Pentecostal Church. It is specified in our draft bylaws right now and will be in our bylaws that every member of the senior pastoral team, not just one, every member must hold credentials with the United Pentecostal Church. In fact, if anything, if there's anything that's a wrinkle in this whole structure, it's that. If the United Pentecostal Church ever goes south, that'll be the tough part of how to disengage ourselves. It'd be simpler with one person, but with a whole team, it'll be more complicated. But it can be done. Did you remember, Cassandra? Okay. Okay, if the church decided that the team was not the way to go, in their opinion, in their voting, and they voted to go one person, obviously you do not know for certain now because you'd have to pray, I would hope, but thinking about what you probably did, do you have, if they did do that, would that be someone outside of the church or would there be anyone in this church that would be able to fulfill that capacity? I do not know. I have not gone there. That's, what, that's, why, I want, that's why I want to give you time to discern and I want to give you the ability to indicate and then I have time to respond accordingly. There are, your grandpa, Beardsley, uh, taught me for many, many years, don't cross bridges before you get to them. Well, first of all, it's impossible to cross a bridge before you get to it. But the second is, is if you try to, even in your mind, cross bridges that before you get to them, you waste a lot of time. So you'll notice that there's some of these questions that I've, I've told you. It's not that I'm not aware of them, but I'm simply not going to try to answer them until we get the answer from you. Um, the screen is set to set off at 10 o'clock, so the projector said, meeting, or 8 o'clock, so the projector's telling us um, we're not allowed to go any further, but no, I'm not, I'm teasing you. Any, any follow-up, any final questions? Sister Becky. I know, I'm not probably saying this right, but what is the online address for the bylaws and the incorporation? Articles of Incorporation, so I can read it. Like, where do I find them online? NewarkUPC.info forward slash and then the word forward. F-O-R-W-A-R-D. NewarkUPC.info forward slash 
and then put the word forward. It'll, it'll all be right there. You could email it out. In fact, I did email it out, but you can send it again. Yes, if you're willing to do that, Leela, for me, thank you. Absolutely. Brother Mar. By doing this, will this, if we do decide or vote on the team-centric um, organization, will this cause some kind of scrutiny with the UPCI organization? Well, you guys are sharp. I'm serious. I'm not. I'm okay. I try to be nice to you all, but I'm serious. You, you are, you are impressing me tonight. Okay. The simple answer is yes. <laughs> Two things, and this is publicly broadcast, so I'm not hiding it. Number one, as all of you know, and you may not realize it, let me draw your attention to it. I, for 14 years, worked directly for the man who is now the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. Brother Bernard was a home missions pastor when Urshan Graduate School of Theology started. And across those 14 years that I worked for him, he moved, he grew his church, very large, built buildings. He became the district superintendent of a district in Texas and then was ultimately elected general superintendent. So during that whole time, I worked with him. As many of you know, I, my last year there, I was academic dean. And there came to a difference of opinions. And I resigned. Because of that difference of opinions, which was about one thing. It was about the role of the academic dean, whether they needed to be on site, who was doing it, etc. I felt it very, very important that I make sure that Brother Bernard knew that I was not in opposition to him in every decision that he had to make, because I wasn't. So it has become my habit at General Conference, it's not every year, but it's frequent, he will preach as general superintendent, and I usually will write an email to him following that. Many times I don't even leave the pew. I'm in the convention center, and I will write him a quick email thanking him for something that's spoken to me. And the reason for it is, number one, is that our leaders don't get encouraged enough. And I know that as a leader, and I'm not complaining to you all. I'm simply saying we don't. We assume that they're good, and we don't tell them. But the second is, is that I want to also make sure that he understands that our very strong difference of opinion with regard to the graduate school was just about the graduate school. And so I've been very careful to do that. So the reason I said all of that is to say this. At the end of service Thursday night at General Conference two weeks ago, he preached a masterpiece, a great service, great sermon, ministered to me. I wrote him, I thanked him for it, and I also sent him my two-paragraph public statement that you all have seen that I posted on Facebook. And I informed him that I felt that I was to be succeeded by a team, but that that was before the congregation for their approval. He wrote me back and said, thank you for telling me. I'm interested in your ministry. Keep me posted on things. So my point is, is that, number one, the general superintendent, who is himself a lawyer, is aware 
And he's not surprised because, well, I was with him at another event for my friend. And I told him that I had shut the church down. We had not been in service in person for 17 months. And he took that in. And then 30 seconds later, he turns back around to me and he said, nothing? And I said, no, sir, totally online. And he went, huh. And he turned around. I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, you didn't expect me to be normal about things, did you? And he replied, no, I did not. I worked with the man for 14 years. I mean, directly, okay? When you're starting a, small, when you're starting a graduate school from scratch, it's a small little entity. Everybody knows everybody, okay? I worked very closely with him. He's ridden in my car multiple times. He's stood in this place and taught. Some of you have been here as he's taught. So he is aware. Second potential thing is if the organization doesn't like it, I'm saying this very publicly. I know we're online. Here's the funny thing. The only mechanism they have to pressure us not to do this, there's nothing illegal about it. There's certainly nothing unbiblical about it. The only way to pressure it is through the district superintendent. For those of you who are not aware, the district superintendent is currently possibly one of the members of that team that would be succeeding me. His name is Roy Moss. So your question is, in a very, is a very astute question, but I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time sweating it. I'm making everybody that needs to be aware aware but yes, you'll, we will make some ripples with this. This will cause some questions, and we'll work through that with the church, meaning the worldwide church. They're going to have a real problem because they're not going to know who to talk to. Like, where do we send our mail? Just send it to New York UPC pastoral team. Thank you very much. They're going to have, it's just going to wig them out, but it, it'll be okay. Do we have one? We're going to end with the online question. Before I take that final question, do you feel that you can, any other questions, you can come individually? Do you feel that we need another forum altogether, or do you feel that we've vetted this enough and any further questions you can ask individually? Individually. Are you comfortable coming with any follow-up questions individually? Okay. I would like to read a comment first that I think is pretty encouraging. Uh, if this works, we could be pioneers for others to be able to duplicate across UPCI. And here's a question. <laughs> and uh, a final question for, um, from an online viewer. After you retire, will you continue to receive wages and health benefits? No. When I resign... We are not set up where I receive compensation. That's a way of hampering a church. I know that's a model from the past where, you know, a, a, a pastor. My father did not. He came from a business background. And so, no, you currently provide health care for my family, and you currently do contribute to retirement for me. That retirement, by the way, as you all know now, is legally, it's portable. In other words, it's mine. It's not tied to my employer. That's legal across all industries now. So I, when I resign, no, my compensation ends, my health benefits end, and my retirement ends. 
That, in a very real sense, is why I had to gulp a little bit, and God said, you're not trusting them. Because I knew the moment I told you, you could, as a group, call a meeting. It'd be a little hard because I'm the one that has to call it. But anyway, you could call a meeting and say, we don't want you to stay. We're mad at you, and we want you to go. Well, I know you're mad, but at least you're not firing me. (laughs) It doesn't help to make me really feel you're mad when you say you're mad and then you chuckle right afterwards. (laughs) But no, on a very serious note, when I do resign, that ends my compensation from the congregation. I need to move on to wherever I'm going, whatever it is that God has in front of me. And that's why really collectively, the team, myself, you, all of us are really trusting God with the timing I don't want to stay beyond when I'm supposed to stay. I'm not going to. I hope that you understand everything I've said and everything I've done thus far, that I will not do that. I will not hold you back from where you are to go as a congregation. Do I have a role in this transition? Yes, I think I do. And that's why I'm still here. And I'm trusting God that when that role has ended, he will have where I am to go next. Y'all have been awesome. Why don't we stand together? And maybe, I don't normally go with culture, but let's go with a little culture. Let's end in prayer and just thank the Lord for, uh, thank you for the good spirit that you all have had, the good questions that you've had. And um, what's in front of us now is prayer and discernment. And in that process, if you have questions, please come and ask. Okay? And I will answer every question. And if it's enough that I think the whole church needs it, I'll send out a blast email with the information in it as well. Okay? So we'll disseminate it. But let's go to prayer over these next few months and ask the Lord. If we do prayer very carefully and we get to March, we can have confidence in our decision. And that is what I want. I want us to walk forward in faith and in confidence. Not because we pushed anything, not because we bullied anybody, not because we rushed anything, but we've been methodically seeking the will of the Lord. Acts 13, the Lord says, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work where, Barnabas and Saul, for the work where unto have called them. So when they had prayed and fasted, then they laid their hands on them and sent them forth. God spoke, and they went to prayer and fasting to make sure that they had really heard. And then they laid their hands on them and sent them forth. That's all I'm telling you. I think I've heard from God. Let's go to prayer and fasting and let's see whether it's so before we lay our hands on it and send it forth. Jesus, God, I worship you tonight and I thank you for these good people. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your love. God, continue as we grieve and as we, as we adjust to your news and your direction. God, continue to let your peace that passeth all understanding keep our hearts and our minds. Let the joy unspeakable and full of glory fill our hearts, even in the midst of sorrow, Lord. Be with us, comfort us, strengthen us, lead us, guide us, direct us. And I praise your name, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody who came out. Thank you, everybody who was online. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. We will, let's, this week you do not.